Welcome to Recharge the Soul Show, a place where we aspire to take our tips and tools we teach in our mind, body, and soul recharging women's retreats and put them in this here podcast. You're wanting to up-level, uplift, and shift into a constant flow state of joy, then you came to the right space. And we are your hosts. She's my daughter, Bailey. And she's my mom, Ann, aka the Shaman Mom. We could not be more grateful to have you here with us. And we hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. We are so excited and grateful to have you all here for another session of Recharge the Soul podcast. And I'm here with my amazing co-host, my daughter. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Recharge the Soul. And I want to just highlight to all of you, when I call her my daughter, it always makes me laugh because I seriously think that in a past life, in fact, I know this to be true. She was definitely my mom. And so, and so, and I, so when I call her my daughter, I'm like daughter slash mom past life. I should say that. Yeah. That'll be the new intro. That'll be the new intro. <laughs> but we were so excited to have you all here because we have such a serendipitous, um, amazing, magical miracle moment that I want you all to know that life can be just so beautiful and so incredibly magical. And you just need to lean in a little bit and have faith and believe because um, this is one of those moments that we're going to be sharing on this podcast is something that happened to us that, and Bailey, Bailey is like a little portal because, (laughs) (laughs) because we're, she's calling in all these amazing experiences. And really the only thing that is different from what she did before, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. is that you're living your truth. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel, and I was talking about this Mm -hmm. in a, in a past post, but I feel like for so long, like I wanted to attract certain people into my world or certain experiences or Um, I think the main thing that changed for me was I really started feeling like I deserved to have that kind of magic in my life and why not? And so, yeah, ever since I kind of started shifting into that and then, and knowing that I was deserving of it and anybody out there is deserving of, of living this magical life all in, um, that's honestly when things really started to shift. And I think it was like our first retreat in Sayulita when, um, Back when um, November of, was that 2020, November of 2020 was our first year. And she went through this major, major radical look at her life and decided to change things. And that's really has been just really rewarding for me to watch. Uh, and I think probably for you guys to watch, you were listening too, because we just got a really wonderful uh, message from somebody who was with us on one of our retreats and just saying how Bailey has just blowing her mind on her growth. And, and I want to tell you, I'm not blowing Bailey up because she's my daughter. I am blowing her up as a fellow human being on this earth. Who's speaking her truth, walking her truth, being vulnerable, because I'm going to tell you, it's not easy. It's not easy to be vulnerable and throw yourself Mm -hmm. out there. And that's why I'm so excited about leading into Rachel. Oh my gosh. Who is vulnerable, authentic, leading her truth. And it has made um, a whole life built around sharing her authentic experience on this earth. And so I got to just hand this off to Bailey because we were inside. This all started, well, it all started back in 2020, like I told you, (laughs) but this, 
experience we're going to talk about today just shows you the magic mm-hmm. and the miracles that can happen when you are authentically all of you. And so Bailey, can you share with what happened in Sayulita on our last trip? On our last trip. Yeah, because I'm so Rachel, who we have on here, I've been following, I mean, since you were talking about in November of 2020, I was going through this and I've talked about it several times on here, but this massive life shift where I was going through my first heartbreak and just moved back from Bali and, and didn't really have any money or any direction at that point. Cause I'd put all my eggs into one basket. And so I found Rachel and I actually had talked about Rachel. If anybody has listened to the podcast where we talked on processing a breakup and I was like, and one of the, I was like, I recommended people telling, finding people, whether it be through social media or a book or on YouTube, um, that they can find a little bit of healing through or relatability. And, um, I had found Rachel and Rachel was going through a lot of like the similar, she had a very similar path. They're different on a lot of different scales, but at the same time, I, I found comfort in her authenticity. So fast forward, she wrote a book called where the river flows. It's a memoir on her life. And it's a very honest account of divorce, mental health, eating disorders, um, et cetera, and just her journey. But I, again, found a lot of comfort in her words and, and how real they were. And it just, it made me have a lot of peace around what had happened because I was holding so much shame around my breakup and so much shame around maybe if I had done this different or why, why do I always talk like that? Or why did I have to say that? And, and Rachel kind of reminded me that we're all human and that we're just here learning and growing and, and we have to give ourselves a little bit of a break. We're trying our best. So how do we say Rachel's last name? I always just call her Rachel or like, I want to be her best friend. I call her Rach in my mind, in my mind, her name is Rach. <laughs> so, so Rachel, how do, is it have cost, have It's have a cost. So it's like everything you buy will have a cost. Have a cost. (laughs) (laughs) And ironically, my, you know, with my ex-husband, when we got married, our wedding hashtag was love doesn't have a cost. Oh, that's so cute. I love that. And Um, I also love that in my, in your mind, my name is Rach. Cause I feel when, when people call me Rach, I feel like really seen and, and as, and as though that's like who I am is like, that's me. That's Rach. Um, so I love that yeah. like intuitively, that's what you call me in your mind. <laughs> I, I want Bailey to finish telling this story because it's yeah. so fascinating how this happened. Um, with, so go ahead, Bailey. So, so fast forward, I read the book and then I was, it, 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 anybody out there that's listening, you need to read this book. Um, but I got done reading it and I was like, wow, that me, that, all of that just made such a difference in my world and in my healing journey and, and really gave me a lot of freedom to move forward, like with a lighter load almost. And so I got the book tattooed on me at the beginning of this year in Sayulita. Um, it's on my bicep. And just as a reminder to let the river of life take me wherever it's going to take me. And at the end of the day, we only have so much control. So got it tattooed in Sayulita and then fast forward to last week. So about three months later, after I had gotten it tattooed on me, I run into Rachel um, three doors down from where I got it tattooed. 
she, I knew she was having dinner with friends and I was like, I, it was that little bit of, um, you don't want to feel like you're over like stepping somebody's space, but I was like, okay, at the same time, maybe she would need to hear it. And so, yeah, I just went in and told Rachel that I love her work and that it, what she is doing matters. Yeah. So I, so I was at dinner with, with two friends that I met here in Sayulita and we were just talking about, um, we were talking about purpose and work. And I was just sharing with them how I was feeling, um, just really lost, um, in my work, especially in my writing, feeling like really unsure about what I was doing, feeling like my work didn't really matter. And like, I just, I was feeling like that loss of tangibility of whether or not I was actually making the impact I wanted to make. Um, and, and I have like had been contemplating for the last several months, like maybe shifting my, you know, what I was doing altogether because I, I, I just lost a lot of confidence and, um, was really just unsure if what, (laughs) if what I was doing mattered at all. Um, and and then Bailey walked up and she was like, I'm so sorry to interrupt. I know this is going to sound really weird. And in my, I was wearing a really fun hat that was my grandmother's, like it's old, this old vintage paperboy hat. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, she's going to tell me my hat's cute. <laughs> and, I was, and, and, and even then I was like loving it. I was like, I like getting a compliment on my grandmother's hat. It makes you know, me feel connected to her and whatever. And, um, and then when she started to share that, you know, she had read my book, I just like, I, I froze. I was like so shocked and, um, and I was, I was emotional and like, I, I was just so humbled, um, and mm-hmm. great and grateful because I was having a really hard time. Mm-hmm. And so it was something I needed to hear. And, and not only that, but like, it then connected me to her as a human being. Um, and then the next night I was like walking home, um, from, I think another dinner. And I look in the window of like one of my, like, it was actually the, it's like the restaurant and bar that I went to mm-hmm. the very first night that I was in Sayulita and listened to live music. So it was the first place I'd ever gone. So I always walk by there on my way home and look inside to see if there's any music playing. So I look inside and there's Bailey sitting at the bar and I was like, I got to go in and talk to her. So I walked in and I was like, Hey, <laughs> we met yesterday. Like, can I sit and join you? And we ended up talking for like five hours. Mm-hmm. And, and the other kind of like, sort of like miraculous thing is that the so the, the the guy who was bartending at the time um this beautiful soul like his energy mm-hmm. is just so lovely so bailey like introduced us and i've spoken with him now like almost every day since and he has seen me in a way that like mm-hmm. i've been needed needed to be seen yeah. um just like witnessing my heart in ways that like are really beautiful like as like kind of like a father figure that like mm-hmm. I longed for like for some reason he's been filling that role for the last like yeah. week or so like and it's just amazing like what windows and doors open when we're courageous and vulnerable yeah. um and now here we are like speaking on this podcast like it's just it's just pretty amazing um yeah. and the, the other really I was just thinking about this um Lorianne when you were saying like if you ever have that that doubt or that moment of, should I go say something to someone or I don't want to be, you know, too much of a fangirl or interrupt someone or, you know, mm-hmm. I, like, I obviously appreciate that you were thinking about my boundaries and wanting to be respectful. Um, and like, I remember, I think almost like exactly a year ago, I was in Bali and I was in a co-working space and I saw this woman who's a singer and I had heard one of her songs when I was living in Venice 
um, right after my divorce. And that song like helped me move through a lot of my grief. And I saw her and I had this same moment of like, okay, I want to go say something to her because her song changed my life, but also I'm afraid to like, I'm afraid to, and I don't want to interrupt her. And I remember like shaking. I was so nervous And I was like, you know what, Rachel, you you never know. Like it might, (laughs) like the same thing. She might need to hear it. And I went up and I approached her and I told her that her song made a huge difference to me. And she like held my hands and she was like, "Um, you know, I wrote that song after a breakup when I was living in Venice Beach, California. And I was like, I just, I remember like my whole body just like crumbling with just overwhelming, this overwhelming sense of, of course. (laughs) like yeah, of, course. of course right and it's just amazing <laughs> these like our our intuition knows like when there's that deep connection about something like there's a reason and yeah. and having the courage to to reach out to someone um or to just say like hey you made an impact on me like that is just as impactful as whatever that initial impact that person had on you because there is something that we share Um, And so being able to bridge that connection is so, so incredible. Mm -hmm. And I think that it Mm -hmm. just, it's, it's like what you're just saying is like taking those steps. Sometimes those brave steps, Mm -hmm. even though they may be uncomfortable leads to leads you down a path that you didn't even know would be there if you hadn't taken that step. And I think sometimes those nudges from the universe Mm -hmm. and those, those steps through those uncomfortable moments or scary moments or where you're shaking but it's almost like when you do take that step, like the universe rewards you. And, and I remember I told you like about the bartender you're just talking about, I was like, you need to meet Tony, especially if you're going to be in Sayulita because he's like a big comfort blanket. And I was like, and I know if you're going to be here, then he's like a good little connection to have. So, so now everybody's going to be going to Sayulita. Are you going to the tropical bar? Order the chicken tacos. Are you the famous Tony? (laughs) I'm looking for a father. (laughs) (laughs) He is. He's awesome. He's just like one of those people you want to fold into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, if you guys are listening and are going to go to Sayulita, you need to say hi to Tony and have the chicken tacos and have it at Tropical House. At the Tropical tropical House, yeah. But I do want to say one other thing about this, about if you, you know, you can always, like if you feel like, gosh, I'm hesitant to overstep a boundary or step in and maybe make the person uncomfortable, you could always ask the universe and angels for another sign. So, well, while we were sitting there at the, having our coconut ice cream at the the place right next to um, the restaurant where Rachel was at, um, the, the red ATV, like we were sitting there and Bailey goes, really, you think I should go? And I said, yeah, you should. And then the woman who was blocking Rachel's motorcycle got into her ATV and removed the block. Like she created mm. an energy flow. She backed out and she, and I said, okay, Bailey, you have to go in. <laughs> and, I'm like, go okay. in. <laughs> and so, you know, that's like believing in the miracles in the universe mm. It's just so, cause now look at you two have this fast friendship and connected on Mm -hmm. such a deeper level, you know, that I, it's so, it's such a beautiful thing to witness when you're courageous and just follow the spiritual breadcrumbs. So we want to ask you, so you are an author and you have this massive following on Instagram. You have an amazing amount of journals on your, um, that on your link tree through your Instagram and um, you're just so fascinating. You're a teacher, a healer, 
um, your help, what you're sharing. I think I've never seen anybody share quite so vulnerably. How has that been for you? If you just did, you just like, didn't have a, did you feel like you didn't have a choice? Did you just dive in for your own healing? How did that happen? Yeah. Um, you know, I definitely felt like I had a choice and, um, and it was a very difficult choice to make. And I think that, uh, in like the way I kind of felt about it was, um, I have this choice to make and I know what the right choice is for me. And, and so in some ways, maybe I didn't have a choice. Maybe it was something that I resisted or a river. I didn't want to flow down for a long Mm -hmm. time or was scared to, but once I jumped in, it was like, this is it. So I, um, you know, I went, I started going to therapy when I was 15, I was diagnosed with anorexia. Um, I did not want to go to therapy. I did not want to get better. I had no interest in therapy. Um, and for about, I would say for about 10 years, I was in and out of therapy for my eating disorder, but then also for depression that started to surface, um, and, um, anxiety that started to surface, um, my eating disorder developed into kind of like a binge eating. It was a sort of like, I was eventually diagnosed with eating disorder, not otherwise specified because it was kind of a smorgasbord of, um, lots of different symptoms. Um, in, in college, I was incredibly depressed. Um, and that was actually the first time I ever, um, felt suicidal. Um, and I attempted to take my life in my sophomore year of college and was hospitalized for a few days in New York, um, which was really very scary. And, um, and up until that point, I just, I spoke to no one about my mental health. Like it was, I think it was like 2003 or 2004 when I was diagnosed with anorexia, social media didn't exist. People weren't talking about mental health. Um, If you went to therapy, then something was seriously wrong with you. So you didn't tell people if you went to therapy. Um, And, and I had no, I just had no guidance. I had no role models. I had no, no space online to, to learn about things or to get support. Um, really the only things that were online were like pro anorexia websites that were in service of, of making my eating disorder more disordered. So there was just nothing available to me in terms of, um, normalizing any of the thoughts in my head or the feelings I was having. And I felt very, very alone. And it wasn't until, um, I think I was 25 or 26 and at the time I was, um, dating my now ex-husband, we had been together for about four years and he knew all about my, he was probably the first person that I really openly shared with about my, uh, mental health. Um, and he, I started to really struggle again with my eating disorder. And I remember he sat me down at dinner one night and he said, Rachel, um, I'm really worried about you. And I think that you need to get some help for your eating disorder. And that was really validating because someone saw that I was struggling and someone who I loved saw that I was struggling. And, um, and I had always had this idea in my mind that, um, I wasn't sick enough to get help. I needed to be a certain sickness in order to be worthy of getting treatment. And until I was at that court, like at a state of almost being dead, then I didn't deserve to get any treatment. And so him saying to me, I think that you're at that point, even if I wasn't physically at that point, Um, but I emotionally and mentally was, I was, I was basically just killing myself very slowly. And, um, so I went to treatment and I spent four months in an intensive outpatient program. Um, and that was the first time I'd ever been in group therapy and to hear other women share their experiences with their eating disorder, depression, their childhood, 
um, anxiety, relationships, the thoughts in their head, the, the behaviors they were having, and to hear myself in every single one of them. That was the first time in my life that I thought, oh my God, I'm not alone. And not only am I not alone, but the treatment that exists here was made for us to get better. And I now believe that maybe it'll work because I believe that this is not just a me problem. This is a, Mm -hmm. this is a thing that lots of people deal with, which means that I'm not beyond repair. I'm part of a, a huge amount of human beings who struggle with similar things. And so it opened me up to be willing to then learn skills for emotion regulation or learn how to set boundaries and say no, or try something different besides starving myself or overeating or drinking alcohol or isolating. Um, feeling less alone created a willingness and a desire for me to change. So after I went to treatment, I was like, all right, I'm on a mission now to pay it forward. I'm going to go get my master's degree. I'm going to become a therapist and I'm going to help women with eating disorders. So I studied my ass off. I took the GRE. I applied for school and my um, partner and I moved across the state and I started grad school. Um, And And so at that point I had become more comfortable with sharing my story because I knew that talking about it helped. And I knew that sharing and connecting with other people was a way for me to reduce my own shame and also hold me accountable. Because as soon as I named what I was experiencing, then I was, then I was holding myself accountable for change. So I started talking at like, um, national eating disorder awareness, um, walks like they would do they would do like an annual walk in different cities and they would invite people to speak and so I would always like offer to tell my story um and it was fucking terrifying sorry if I'm not allowed to swear mm-hmm. you no, no you're okay. dead no. <laughs> like, are effective <laughs> all right great but like the same way like that I got shaky mm-hmm. like telling this woman that she had an impact on me I mean that was like I remember like the first time I did a speech about my eating disorder at one of these walks and there was like 20 people standing out there and like half of them were my friends who already knew I was so, Mm -hmm. so terrified to tell my story. And I remember telling it in a very vague way. It was like no details, just kind of like when I was 15, I was diagnosed with this. Then I went to therapy. I learned tools and I'm going to inspire you. And, but that alone was terrifying for me because Mm -hmm. I was like eating disorder still felt like a dirty word. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so like, but that like gave me more courage the more I did that. And, um, and then I went to grad school and a so much part of the, a part of that program was us, us practicing what we preached in terms of, um, you know, vulnerability and sharing. And we also had to practice counseling with one another. So I was opening up to my peers in like our practice sessions. We had a group with each other to like, you know, maintain a cohort and feel like we were connected. So the practice of sharing and being vulnerable became more, it became, I became more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And, um, after about 10 months of that program, I started having severe panic attacks. Again, my eating disorder symptoms started to come back and, um, you know, the pressure of school was really overwhelming and a lot, and there was just a lot of work that I still hadn't done around perfectionism around, um, uh, you know, feeling like I was, uh, skilled enough to do the work I was doing. Um, and, I eventually had to withdraw from my program because I just, I couldn't sit with clients anymore. And it was no longer, I just felt like it was no longer ethical for me to be sitting with clients. And that created a lot of shame. Uh, Cause it was the second time I had to withdraw from school for my mental health. And I had, I had this story then that I was like, is this going to be my life where I get this close to, you know, doing something I really want to do. And then my mental health comes in and I can't. 
So I spent about a year practicing yoga. I started connecting with my spiritual practice for the first time. I started journaling for the first time and doing mantras. And I started blogging again. And this is blogging was something that I did, um, that I had done after my, um, initial, uh, leave of absence from my undergrad after uh, my suicide attempt. And I always was, it was blogging just for me. I think my mom and my like godmother were the only people that read it. And that was fine. I just did it as a way for me to process everything that I was thinking about. And so I started blogging again um, and, and just writing about, you know, my shame or my eating disorder or like what I was working on and uh, not for anyone really, but myself. And And I'd always like had this idea that I would write a book. I don't know why, but there was kind of always this inkling in me that I wanted to write a book about my eating disorder because I remember after, you know, going to treatment feeling like, okay, that was wonderful. Like where else can I, can I feel less alone in this now that I'm not in treatment anymore? And I like, couldn't really find any books about eating disorders. It was just like, there's like one really popular memoir that this girl wrote about her experience with recovery. And beyond that, I couldn't find much. And I kind of felt like there was a lacking of conversation around the experience of having an eating disorder in order to normalize, like not to normalize it in terms of like, yeah, it's fine to have one, but to normalize it in terms of like a lot of people deal with this and how can we have more understanding and awareness so that we can reduce shame and stigma mm-hmm. so that people feel safer to say to their loved ones or their parents or whoever it is, I'm really struggling with this and I need help. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I'd always had this idea that I would do that. And I remember talking to my, um, my ex-husband, we had just gotten married and telling him, like, I think I want to, I think I want to start writing about my, my mental health, um, and write a book. And like this, this feels like a way for me to fulfill the mission of making people feel less alone while holding some energetic boundaries that one-on-one counseling didn't provide me. Mm-hmm. And he, I remember he said to me, Rachel, I, you know, you're an amazing writer. And I think that's such a courageous thing. Um, but I'm really worried that if you write about mental health, then you're always going to have to be sick or you won't have anything to write about. Mm-hmm. And I remember like that really like hitting me because he wasn't wrong. Like there was a part of me that's like, Hmm, I wonder if, I wonder if you're right. Like, I wonder if that will kind of create this life for me where unless there's suffering, I won't have material. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I didn't really know what to do with that because, um, part of me was like, I don't, you know, I don't think that you're necessarily wrong, but there was another part of me that was like, fuck you. Like you're supposed to support me unconditionally Mm -hmm. and root for me and say, Hey, Rach, I think that's incredible and courageous. And it might be hard at times and I'm going to be here the whole time. And that's what I wanted to hear, but it's not what I got. And, Mm -hmm. um, and his concerns were valid and they came from a place of love. Um, but they also, they also held me back from really like speaking my truth and owning my voice. Um, so fast forward, like a year later, um, we, you know, I won't tell this whole story cause it will take a whole other podcast, but we ended up, we ended up separating for a period of time and I went to Bali by myself. And so this was in October of 2019 and it was the first time I was alone, like ever. And so I was writing a lot. I was just writing about my experience, what I was discovering. And I was, I finally made a commitment to myself. I said, I'm going to start writing publicly and I'm going to do it for me. And if 
And if my partner has a problem with it, then he's going to have a problem with it. And if other people, have a, if my mom has a problem with it, then she's going to have a problem with it. Um, if my dad has a problem with it, then he's going to have a problem with it. But if I keep like holding my voice back for fear of what other people are going to think, then I'm, then I'm going to constantly be suffering. Um, and so I, on January 1st of 2020, I launched my blog with the mission of hoping, hoping to make one person feel less alone. And, um, and I think at the time, like I had like a thousand followers on Instagram. It was mostly like my family and friends and random robots and strangers that I don't know how they found me, you know? Um, and, uh, and I just started writing. I just started writing honestly. And, uh, the more I did, the more people were like, me too, me too. I've thought that I felt that. And I just got a lot of feedback that was like, you know, your vulnerability is helping me. And, and in turn, like that feedback gave me more courage to continue to be vulnerable. And, and, uh, and there was a lot of fear around what's my mom going to think, because a lot of what I'm going to write about is my relationship with my mom. What's my dad going to think is a lot of what I'm going to write about is my relationship with my dad. Um, what are other people going to think? What are, you know, about like the fact that these are things I struggle with, are they going to think that I'm totally fucked up or something's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. And that, are they going to tiptoe around me because I've experienced, you know, all these things. And, um, it was super, super scary. And over time it got less scary. Um, and it's, it's kind of, you know, in the last two years become a thing now where I'm so used to it that it doesn't, to me, it's just how I am now. So like you say, to, you're saying to me, Lorianne, like, God, oh, you're so vulnerable and honest. And I've never, you know, I don't see anyone else like that in my mind. I'm like, really? Like, Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Like, you know, cause for me now it's so normal with how I act and how I speak and how I am with people in my day-to-day -day life. Um, but it, I wasn't always, uh, like I was probably the most quiet, closed off, reserved, isolated, emotionally person, um, in my social circles and my family for most of my life. Can I ask you something about that? Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, do you feel, because I, I think that a lot of people are so concerned with what other people think that it keeps them trapped in an, a box that can be a prison to whatever it is that they need healing through. So by speaking about it, finding your truth, because we, Bailey and I work a lot with women speaking their truth and really connecting with that. So in the process of you being vulnerable, speaking your truth, that's been a big part of your healing journey. I mean, you would still be stuck if you hadn't shared. Is that is that an incorrect thing to say? Uh, I'm I still get stuck all the time. So I'll just I'll just point that out, which is mm -hmm. like been a big lesson for me. Is like I used to think like the goal was to be healed, and now mm -hmm. I'm like, no, like show me someone who's perfectly healed. I would mm -hmm. love to meet them and hug mm -hmm. them and get all their yeah. wisdom. <laughs> The goal, the goal for me now is how do I show up every day and be present and aware and hopefully manage whatever comes my way with as much grace and compassion as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I still get stuck on the daily, on the regular all the time. And what has helped me get unstuck in those moments is talking about it and sharing. Mm -hmm. I still, I still isolate too. There are still times where like the last thing I want to do is text a friend to be like, Hey, I feel really sad right now. And I just need someone to hold space. Um, and I resist, I resist it all the time. So, um, and I know that, um, that sharing and being open has really, really, really opened the door for me to get to this place. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was not an easy path. And there are still times where I get so insecure and where someone's criticism or like a single comment about, um, you know, what I've said or what I've done will totally spiral me back into that place where I'm like, I need to shut down all of my Instagram accounts. I need to never share anything again because, because I'm bad and wrong and I've messed up and I'm the worst. Like I still, that still happens yeah. a lot. So it's not like, um, you know, I, it's not like by sharing my voice, I'm suddenly now this like ultimately wise human with, you know, with absolute divinity and I will never suffer again. Um, and I feel so much freer. I feel mm-hmm. like the, the woman I am today is so much more me than the woman I was two years ago. Um, I feel more embodied in terms of like, uh, I, I just feel like I get to show up way more as myself in social situations, in private <clears throat> situations. Um, it's, a, it's so much easier for me to assess if people are my people or not my people, because I'm showing up more as me in my day-to-day life. Um, and that's been a process. It's taken time. And when I reflect back, like, holy shit, am I way more comfortable with who I am now than I was? Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you, you know, because something that um, will keep people in a box is how do you, because like you sharing your story helped Bailey with her start to walk through her healing process that she, that's why she has you tattooed, your book tattooed on her <laughs> arm as, cause that's how impactful it was. So Mike, um, because I work with a lot of women one-on-one and one of the major things that there, there's two things that come up. One is the imposter syndrome. Like, who am I to, you know, share my story. And then the second, the second one that comes up is caring so much about what other people think that you're afraid to speak your truth. So how do you walk through those? Yeah, those are really great questions. So I'll start with imposter syndrome, um, or like the, who am I to share my story? Um, cause I was writing about this actually a couple of weeks ago and, uh, the truth, the truth is everyone's, everyone's story has already been told. My story has already been told. And, um, and if I operated from a space of, well, my story has already been told or someone's already told it better. Um, so I don't have, you know, who am I to share it? Um, or someone's been through worse or someone's, you know, has more wisdom or more tools. So I don't have, you know, I don't have enough accreditation to share, um, that, that might be true. All of that might actually be true. And we all need to hear the same message from different kinds of people. We mm-hmm. need the same message, but we need it delivered differently. So Bailey, you could give me wisdom on, you know, here's, here's what, here's what breath work does for you. And you could give me all of that, all of those tools. Right. Um, but I might, for some reason, just not connect with you or, not resonate with the, you know, the way that you're teaching it to me. Um, and then Lorianne, you might come to me and say, I would love to show you what breath work does. Why don't you sit down and I'll guide you through it. And by experiencing it with you somehow, then that resonates and I connect with that. Mm-hmm. Um, or you're, or for some reason, um, you know, maybe I need more motherly energy and that's how I receive information. Whereas other people might, you know, might need to feel like they're getting information from a peer. Um, so we all absorb information uniquely and differently. And so it's not necessarily that our particular story doesn't matter. Um, our stories do matter and we all have really similar stories Mm -hmm. and the beauty is not in having a better story or a harder story or having more wisdom. Um, it's simply that by 
being our actual selves and communicating things in the way that feels the most authentic to us, we reach the people who need to hear the message from someone like us. So actually by being more ourselves and being more authentic with who we are, our stories start to actually matter more because they connect with the people who resonate with who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, and then the message itself comes through because for some reason I'm the person that someone needs to connect with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that makes sense, but it totally makes sense. Yeah. When I, I'm a, have a fitness background. So when I'm teaching somebody how to do pushups, for example, I have to cue, I can cue one way and somebody goes, Oh, that makes complete sense. And I'm, they download it and they do the pushup. And the other person goes, I have no idea. It's like, you're speaking a foreign language. And then I'll, then, then you'll come out at a different angle and say it a different way. And they'll go, Oh, so that, that totally makes sense. Right. And it's like, I mean, if you, I mean, to, and to follow yeah. up with that analogy, like I'm sure this has happened for both of you. Like I'll go to a yoga class with a friend and we'll leave and I'll look at her and be like, God, I fucking hated that instructor. She was pissing me off. And my friend will be like, really? I loved her. Right. So like, yeah. and it's, we both got the same class. Right. And, but for some reason, certain people resonate with us and, and not with others. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, and so it doesn't mean that that instructor has no right to be teaching yoga because I, I had a bad experience and it doesn't mean that she's doing anything wrong or needs to change what she's doing to, to modify for me. It simply means that for whatever reason, I wasn't connecting with her in the way that she offers her practice, but she had a huge impact on my friend. So, Mm -hmm. so we, we show up as messengers for the people who need us. Yeah. And I think that that's such a huge thing, especially Mm -hmm. whenever you're putting yourself out there in whatever way it may be is, is the saying we, and we always say this is, um, you could be like the juiciest, most luscious, beautiful, Um, vibrant peach on the stem, but somebody's still not going to like peaches. And so Mm. it's more just about as long as I feel like you have good intentions and you're coming from authentic space, you'll, you'll reach the people that you're supposed to reach. And then the other ones will find who they need to need or who they need. And same with like our work too. Like we're like, if somebody else goes and does like a different retreat, we're like, that's awesome. Because that means that they're, they're getting help from somebody that they can resonate with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's also why I think I resonated with you so much is because your store, like, it felt like we kept m- missing each other. Like you were traveling to Bali and I was like there a month after you and I had been there alone and I was trying to figure out like my way. And so, and then we kept just, it mm-hmm. seemed like our stories aligned in so many different ways. And that's why I found a lot of relatability with you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I want to, I want you to kind of explain how you found Sayulita too. Yeah. So I actually, <laughs> uh, so funny. So I, uh, I mean, it's not funny, but there's funny parts of the story. So I was, um, living in Seattle last year, which is where I'm from. I moved back there from Bali about a year ago. Um, like a week after I finished my book, um, because I was so depressed, like so, so, so depressed. Um, suicidal, my, uh, nervous, I had a complete nervous system shutdown, like complete nervous system shutdown. Um, mostly because writing the book was really, really difficult. Like reliving all of that was very, very, like it was re-traumatizing. Um, I don't regret it. I, it was like one of the most, I'm like something that I'm so proud of. And I learned so much going back and writing all of that. Um, and it was very, very healing. And I think it was something I needed to do. 
Um, and it cracked me open in ways that I was not prepared for um, and that I didn't have the support for while I was in Bali. So I flew home to get that support. And, um, you know, fast forward like eight months, I was not able to get, I wanted to actually seek treatment again because um, I needed some more structure and I needed, uh, I just needed to have a little bit more accountability than my weekly therapy sessions. Um, my insurance covered nothing. It was ridiculously expensive. So I just decided to kind of put some roots back into Seattle, get an apartment, get a part-time job, just kind of build a little bit of stability for myself, um, continue seeing my therapist and be near my family. So I did that. Um, and by the winter of that year in Seattle, my depression started to like really come back. Um, the winters in Seattle are really difficult. I, I was reminded how deeply impacted I am, um, by the weather and by not having, you know, the sunshine and being able to go outside, um, and have access to, you know, just getting into nature like that. Um, and the winter is also a really hard time in terms of like, it's the holidays. It was my birthday, uh, new year's, like all of these reminders of like the fact that I was divorced and not with my husband, then it was Valentine's day still, you know, like there was just these things that kept coming up and these triggers and I was not coping well. And in February, I, um, I was very suicidal again. And I thought I, I have to do something different. I have to find something else. This is not working. I, I want to live and I need to make some choices to make that happen. And so I started looking outside the box, um, because, you know, I, like, I felt like I'd kind of exhausted Western psychology. Like I'd been, I've done all, all of the modalities when it comes to, um, you know, therapy and Western psychology. And I was, I was really longing for an approach that was, um, really holistic and really honored the mind body connection. So I wanted somewhere that was focusing on the nervous system, focusing on somatic approaches to healing, um, had a spiritual component still had, um, you know, a therapeutic psychological component as well. And so I kind of started making this like checklist of things that I was like, this is this, this is the kind of healing that I'm looking for in, in this season of my of my growth and what I think will support me, uh, um, you know, after having been through what I've been through and knowing what I know now. And uh, so I did a lot of uh, tarot card pulling, a lot of sitting with my intuition. We love that, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we both use the Starseed deck, which I think is awesome. Yes. Um, and like, I spent a couple of weeks just like asking my parents and my therapist, like, what do you think I should do? Where should I go? What do you think I should do? And then I realized like, Rachel, like you, you know what you need more than anyone else. And if you make a decision about your life based on what your parents think you should do, then you're going to repeat these patterns over and over and over again. You have to make this choice based on what you need and what's best for you. And that is going to be the, that's going to be the seed that plants something really, really great for you. So I kind of just didn't talk to them for like a couple of weeks and sat with my intuition, sat with my tarot. And then I stumbled upon this guy who does neuroemotional technique. He's a chiropractor and a neuro neurologist um, in Silita. I stumbled upon his Instagram and I was like reading his posts and saw that he did like ice baths and breath work and was super involved in the nervous system. And I messaged him and I was like, Hey, this is going to sound weird, but do you know any retreat centers that do the kind of work that you're doing or like, you know, that have programs that focus on this? And he was like, actually, I work at one in Sayulita. I'll send you the website. 
So I looked at the website and it was literally verbatim the things that I had written down that I wanted in a program. And it was affordable and I like, it was expensive, but still like, like a 20th of the cost that it would have been for me to have maybe five days in a treatment center in the States. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I just booked it. And, um, and then I was in Sayulita like a month later and, um, and I, I booked my, it was cheaper for me to book a flight like four days before the retreat. So I was like, okay, I'll just go a little early and have some alone time and just enjoy the beach or whatever. And two days after I got here, I canceled my flight home because my, <clears throat> my gut said, you're going to want to stay here a little longer. Um, <laughs> and I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Sayulita does to people. Yeah. They yeah. come and normally they end up staying yeah. a lot longer. It's a magical place. Yeah. Um, and so then you, you were in this treatment center or not treatment center, but in this, um, retreat and, and what was your experience within it? Um, holy shit. I mean, I could talk about it for, for days. It was yeah. like, it was mind blowing. I mean, th- this retreat, like I've maybe too high expectations when it comes. And maybe this is why I have so much imposter syndrome because I, I think I project a lot of, I think I project a lot of the the expectations I have for myself on everything else that when it comes to who I let do healing work with me. Um, and, or maybe it's, maybe that's just because I, that's one area that I have a lot of self-worth. I'm not sure we're still figuring that out. Um, (laughs) but when it comes to like, you know, thinking about who I'm going to let into my world and, and support me on my growth. I'm really, I'm really reserved in particular about it. Um, I don't, you know, it's hard for me to just trust anyone to, mm-hmm. um, to do like really deep, intimate work with, with me when it comes to therapy and the people at this retreat center are so, uh, invested in the work they're doing. They're so, they have so much experience, so much education, so much wisdom, so much life experience. Mm -hmm. They've all been through something that brought them to this work. So they understand from a very deep visceral level, what it's like to commit to work like this. Um, and, and I learned so much, uh, about the nervous system, about the brain, about the mind body connection. Um, and I mean, for 21 days, I was in, I was in connection with a community of human beings who all showed up for the same reason. So we were walking this path together and having community and connecting with one another, um, and co-regulating and like feeling our shit in front of each other and supporting each other, learning it was safe to like show up authentically and, um, and then just being deeply supported by experts in a variety of modalities. So like we did we did breath work. We did neurofeedback. We had one-on-one therapy. We had workshops where we learned about the limbic system and the brain and the nervous system. We did ice baths. We did yoga. Um, we did a whole gut protocol so that we could do like, you know, a, a gut healing process, um, because the gut and the brain are very, very connected. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, we had, we did dance, we, you know, we, there was a lot of play as well and art and chocolate mm-hmm. making. Um, and then like a huge emphasis on just not doing. So like they really encouraged us to not be on our phones, to not be working, to be really present and to sit with the moments where we were like, we had nothing to do, um, which was really actually one of the most challenging things for a lot of us was sitting and not, not doing anything. Um, and you know, a, a dysregulated nervous system is, is often quite hyperactive and 
leads us to believe that we need to we need to constantly be doing and it's not safe to rest it's not safe to slow down and when we do it's really anxiety provoking um and so just like also having opportunity to rest and just be um was incredible so yeah it was it was life-changing truly wow yeah sounds no, like nobody such- paid me to say any of that I mean I really genuinely <laughs> yeah like, this was not like a program that someone was like, Hey, well, like, you know, if you plug us on Instagram, you know, we'll let you, I like, I found this place all on my own volition, make me the choice on my own and, uh, had no idea. I really had no idea if it was going to be, I just had no idea. And Mm -hmm. it's so fascinating that when you ask, so one of the things that we always teach is for people to ask, I always feel like your angels and your guides are up there. Like, playing cards. Like, I wish you would just ask us for help. I wish you would ask us for guidance. And you were asking all these other people who also have their own struggles and their own, not asking for help. And then you go, wait a minute, I need to ask for me. And then, and I, we use, we use cards. We have like 10 decks. Yeah. (laughs) And we use them for guidance because I feel like they're just waiting for you to ask for help. And this it's simplest so for those of you who are wondering, how do you ask for help? You say, hey, I need some help and here's what I need help with. I mean, it's really, and they're just up there going, oh, we can give her signs on which direction to go. And then you got exactly what you were asking yeah. for. Yeah. Mind and, blowing. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> awesome. that's, and I think that's beautiful that you, like sometimes mm-hmm. whenever we're asking for help and then we don't get the answer right away. And people are all like, well, what, where is it? Where is it? But Mm -hmm. you gave yourself the opportunity to get quiet and to wait and to be patient and, and to trust that, that in the right timing, the right thing would show itself. And, and I think that that's really the main thing too, is, you know, we always can come back to this space of, of trust and that, that you'll be exactly where you need to be. Yeah. Well, and ironically, that's because one of the tarot cards I got was literally trust the timing. Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. my gosh. That's so funny. So I was like, I was like, all right. <laughs> God. God. I don't want to trust the timing. And then I, yeah. And then I think I got another card and the card was literally just called wait. I was like, oh, oh fuck. all right. Like, <laughs> I guess I'll just still, yeah, those are still, I mean, that's still guidance, right? Like, mm-hmm. Like it's an invitation to just slow down, an invitation to wait, an invitation to trust that like the answer is coming and you don't have to push it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so fascinating. And I love yeah. that you talked about, you know, having um, seasonal disorder because Bailey and I both have seasonal disorder mm-hmm. too, which is why we follow the sun a lot of times yeah. and um, super important for our nervous system for us to have sunshine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we wanted to enter a time in the podcast where we asked some rapid fire questions, but, but, but I, but I did want to ask you because Bailey for her therapy, um, started dancing and Bailey, was that because you saw Rachel dancing or did you? Yeah. For the okay. most, yeah. Cause I'd always go on Instagram and, and there was Rachel and she was dancing and she'd be <laughs> encouraging people to, um, to dance to at least one song a day. And it's from, it's somatic healing. Yeah. So I, it's funny because I, uh, I started dancing, not really thinking about that it had anything to do with, or would have anything to do with my, my mental health. Um, I went to an ecstatic dance when I was in Bali and I'd never been to ecstatic dance before. And I, I showed up and the DJ was like, okay, everyone, here's the rules. 
There's no right way to move your body. Um, even if you want to lay on the floor and cry, that's allowed. The only rules are this, um, you know, don't touch anyone and please no phones have fun. And so I was like, all right, what is, what is this? <laughs> and I started like dancing how I normally dance. Like I love dancing. Like I'll be the first one on the dance floor at a wedding. Like I'll get down. I have a great time. So I was just like dancing and I'm looking around like people are like howling and like shaking and jumping and they've got their hands in the air. Some people are just like bending over. And I was kind of like, well, this is interesting. Like everyone's just kind of moving. And I was like, well, I wonder what would happen if I just like kind of moved instead of like tried to dance. And the, over the course of the next two hours, like I went from like, you know, dancing to, and like trying to have moves to just like letting the music influence my body and just letting my body move how it wanted to. And sometimes that meant I was jumping. Sometimes I was shaking. Sometimes I was like, just like bent over and kind of like, you know, in like a forward fold, letting myself kind of just be. And, and at the very end, I was on the ground sobbing and I was like, what the fuck was that? Like what happened? Like what is going on? And so I kept going back to ecstatic dance. Um, because I just, I just felt like a way for me to like express myself. And over the course of the next couple months, it became a way for me to just release. It was like, it felt like I was releasing whatever I was feeling that morning or like whatever I had felt during the week, but maybe not allowed myself to feel like, it just felt like emotions were coming up and out of my body while I was moving. Um, and so, you know, fast forward a few months, I get divorced and I, uh, started just like trying to, um, find more ways to, um, just like connect with myself because my, my confidence and my self-esteem just plummeted. And, um, and so I just, I started dancing again, like in my living room or in my apartment. And I remember like recording one of my dances on my Instagram story. Um, and just telling, like saying on my Instagram story, like, you know, I've been dancing to try and like, you know, shake out some feelings. Um, and a lot of people messaged me back and said, Oh, I do that too. I do that all the time. I love this. I'm going to try that. And I was like, Oh, cool. Well, I'll do it again tomorrow. And then I did it again. And then I did it the next day. And it kind of just became a thing I posted on my Instagram, like on my Instagram story, because it seemed to help other people. And by proxy, it was kind of keeping me accountable to dance every day, which actually didn't make me feel better. Um, to just dance for a song after I did my journaling and journaling in the morning. And then my I was telling my therapist about it and she was like, oh, well, you know that that's somatic healing. And I was like, what does that mean? I, like, I'd never heard the word somatic before. And she was like, well, somatic means of the body. And there's a whole approach to therapy that is somatic focused, meaning we're focusing on healing from the body up instead of from the mind down. So there's, there's a bottom up approach, meaning we're focusing on the physical body as a way of healing the mind. And so she started teaching me more just about different ways that we can heal on a somatic level. And she was telling me, she was telling me how, um, you know, if you see animals who, you know, experience something startling or get stressed, they'll kind of shake right afterwards. Like if you see a dog get startled afterwards, they'll kind of like shake out their whole body. Um, horses will do it too. Like it's a way to physically move the stress hormones through the body. So it's a natural physiological response that we have to stress is to, is to kind of shake it out because it's a way for us to move those stress hormones away and out. So shaking is literally a, is a form of releasing stress hormones. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so when I learned that I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, 
because a lot of times when I'm dancing, what I'm doing is like jumping and kind of shaking out my arms. And so I started incorporating that more into my dance. Um, and, and yeah, and then the more I started doing that, the more kind of excited I got and interested I got in other somatic approaches and learning more about how having a mind body connection is so important to healing because we, in the Western world, we cut everything off. It's all severed. It's like, if you have a problem, like if you have a a quote unquote mental health problem, it's a problem of the mind. And that's the only thing we focus on. If you have a physical problem, it's a problem of the body. And that's the only thing we focus on. And it's, it's just not true. It's all connected. And the more I started to, to zoom out and see my mental health as not a mental issue, but as just a holistic, mm-hmm. um, experience, I, I started to just incorporate way more somatic tools into my practice and be more open to the idea that what I was eating made a difference with my mental health, mm-hmm. that how I was breathing made a difference with my mental health, that moving and shaking and jumping was not just like a form of exercise, but a way of regulating my emotions and my nervous system and getting into a parasympathetic state, um, to calm mm-hmm. myself down. So um, it was totally by accident. And the more I learned, the more I was like, this is awesome. So, yeah. So great. Yeah. Yeah. We love watching you dance. Thank you. <laughs> we should just do a dance. If we had, if this was on video for our podcasters, we would just all get up and dance right now. Even yes. bear, even bear, yes. our little yes. bear just, 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 just jumped into our podcast. She's like, yes. who are these people? Yeah. Yes. Um, so but it really is this <clears throat> huge it's this conscious effort, I think. And this, Mm -hmm. this moment to moment, what, what am I needing now? Am I needing a nutritious meal? Am I needing to move and shake some stagnant energy? Mm -hmm. Am I needing to get a little bit of comfort or validation from a friend or so I love, I love that idea that you just explained that it's, it's not just one solution or it's not just one issue. It's, it's this constant, just being in this flow and in this communication with your mind, body, and soul and asking yeah. what you need in that moment. Yeah. So we're, we're grateful for all the time that you spent with us. Mm-hmm. We know you're going to be recording your audiobook next week. So we not yeah. get a window to be able to have you on recharge the soul. And so we want to do the. I think this is like one of the most fun parts is we get to ask you rapid fire questions. So are you ready? Yes. Let me get grounded. Let me get my headphones connected to the earth. Okay. I'm ready. Let's do okay, this. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. What, what sign are you? Capricorn. Capricorn. Do you know your rising sign? Yes. I'm a, uh, moon. Uh, my moon is Virgo and my, my rising is Scorpio. Wow. Rising in Scorpio. Yeah. That's the same as me. Um, what are you a mountain beach desert or yeah, I think those are the three. What am I? Like, mm-hmm. what's your favorite? Oh, mountains. 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 That's yeah. so fun. I would have thought beach, but that's great. That I love that you're mountains. What's your favorite podcast? Be um, what's your favorite podcast that you like to listen to? Uh, Esther Perel. Where should we begin? Where mm. should we begin? What's your favorite movie? She's the man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite uh, music or band to dance to? Oh, uh, you know, I love Muna. Oh, Luna? Muna, M-U-N-A, yeah. Muna, what's your favorite thing to do in your free time? I love long walks. Mm. Favorite time of day? Ooh, like around like 9 or 10 a.m. Oh, really? 
I guess so. I don't know. We're rapid fire. We're going with the gut. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite breakfast food? Uh, um, like, uh, overnight oats, uh, with lots of berries. Mm. Mm. Favorite author. Oh, uh, Glennon Doyle. Oh, nice. And then, um, last one is what would you, what's your, what are you wanting to birth into the world? Like what's your, what's your next? My next, what? Sorry, you froze there. What are you wanting to birth into this world? Like what's your, what's your next thing that you're kind of putting your focus towards? Um, I'm going to make a podcast. Oh, yay. Well, we will be the, we will be avid listeners. Yes. And hopefully guests. Awesome. <laughs> oh, yes. we would love, we would that. love that. Yeah. Yeah. You we, both, you inspired I, me to, to branch out. And I've always had this idea that like, I don't like, again, imposter syndrome, like I don't mm-hmm. have anything worth talking about and, um, it's not true. And, yeah. um, so I'm inspired by both of you and it's something I've wanted to do and I'm going to do it. Oh, well, if you're open to, we'd love to have you again. Thank you. You're amazing and inspiring and a breath of fresh air. Oh, thank you so much. And yeah, of course I would love to come back and this was just so fun. Thank you both for just your curiosity and your wisdom and holding space. And you're both just such lights. And I love just seeing the two of you together, sharing your gifts and wisdom with each other. I think it's just so incredible. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So much. Thank you for your time and for all that you shared and yeah, what a fun episode. Super fun. And we're going to be posting this this week. So again, thank you again, Rachel, for your beautiful wisdom and all the things you shared. Um, See you soon. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening in.